Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to this Sunday special. I had talked about it, I believe, in December, just a little bit before Christmas, because this article would come out roughly around that time. Yeah, actually a lot earlier, October 26th of 2021. If you recall, the article I am mentioning, the article I am referencing here is the one about the C8 Corvette Z06's V8. Road and Track did a big in-depth article talking about all the things that make the C8 Z06's V8 tick and why it's so special, especially at the guesstimated price range, shall we say, sub $150,000, even though it might be more than that. We don't know. But yeah, this article I said I would do as a Sunday special because I wanted to dive into the C8Z06's flat plane 5.5 liter V8 because I say flat plane, I mean, it is a flat plane. Yeah, yeah, flat plane V8 because a normal, the normal LS7 or whatever was in the C7 was a cross plane. Yeah, almost for, almost forgot that that was the main difference that allowed it to rev. But even, even beyond that, there's a few other things that make this V8 so special because Chevrolet could have just gone with a flat plane, cranked it a few things here and there and called it a day. But it seems like they've done a little bit more than that. So enough, enough sugarcoating, basically. Let's get into the article. How Chevrolet created the most powerful, naturally aspirated V8 ever. The new C8 Corvette Z06 is powered by a flat-plane 670-horsepower monster called the LT6. Here's how the Corvette team made it. Four basic engines in various forms have powered the Chevrolet Corvette across its 70-year history. This is the fifth and by far the most radical, the LT6 or as it's called internally, the Gemini. That's a cool name, the Gemini. It doesn't make sense, but it's cool. It's a cool name. <laughs> I'm just going to refer to it as the Gemini from now on. Corvette engineers designed this entirely new engine for the C8 Z06, a 5.5 liter naturally aspirated twin overhead cam, twin overhead cam V8. So does that mean there's, no, it looks like it's a dual overhead cam. So it's a DOHC. Even though they're calling it twin overhead, it's just dual overhead cam. Unless there's a difference between twin overhead and dual overhead. I don't know. Cam V8, though. Notably equipped with a flat plane crankshaft. SAE certified power and torque figures ring in at 670 horsepower at 8,400 RPM and 460 pound-feet of torque at 6,300 RPM, making this the most powerful naturally aspirated V8 ever to thunder across a showroom floor. The easy route would have been to endow the Z06 with a small block, but for, but after, oh, with a, with a blown sm small block. The easy route would have been to endow the Z06 with a blown small block, but after some discussions with management, approval was given to do something different. In a private preview of the Z06 at GM's design center, Corvette chief engineer Tage, I'm sorry, I, I don't know how to say your last name, told Road and Track, and, and I have too much respect for you to butcher it, told Road and Track there were a few reasons he pushed for this V8. The first is practical. A supercharged small block wouldn't leave space for the convertible's folding metal top. The second is that he wanted to recapture the spirit of previous Z06s, especially the C6, which was defined by its 7-liter naturally aspirated LS7 V8. The, C, the C7 Z06 had a supercharged small block breaking tradition. For a lot of our customers, they pine for the old LS7, the 7-liter that spun to 7,000 RPM. They love that, Tage said. It was more like a bespoke engine. It had the perfect metering of power, naturally aspirated, it had instant response, and people liked the C7 Z06. It had a ton of power, but they also liked that driving experience. 
A lot of people said, why can't you do naturally aspirated? Well, nobody's ever done a 650 horsepower naturally aspirated V8. It's considered impossible, but there it is. The bore centers are the same as the small block, as the engine has to fit within the same space as the Corvette Stingray's LT2, but that is it. This is an entirely new unit and shares no major components with other GM products. The engine breathes through intakes in the car's rear fenders that sit ju uh, just above the heat extract, uh, exchangers for the engine on the left side and transmission on the right side. That air is directed to an airbox that sits above the transmission, then into twin 87mm throttle bodies ahead of an intake manifold that look quite a bit like a Ferrari 458. Let me just reread that for a second just for myself because I want to really etch it into my brain here. The engine breathes through intakes in the car's rear fenders, very typical mid-engine car, that sit just above heat exchangers for the engine on the left side and transmission on the right. So the left side is heat exchangers for the engine and on the right is heat exchangers from the transmission. Okay, okay. That air is directed to an airbox that sits above, yep, yep, yep. One of the Corvette team's inspirations, the Ferrari F136 FV8, as seen in a 458 Speciale. Engineers don't shy away from the comparison. Dustin Gardner, assistant chief engineers for the small block, told Road and Track that the stated goal for this new Z06 was to beat the Ferrari 458. It may seem odd to benchmark a 12-year-old car, but the 458 is arguably still the high watermark for Ferrari's mid-engine V8 cars. Road and Track is right about that. There are four intake trumpets, and what I like about that is that if you, when you look at the F8, the F8 Tributo and the 488 GTB, both of those are turbo cars, and they're great. They're very, they're stupid fast. They're scary fast, but a lot of people, at least from what I've seen, really do pine for the 458, that naturally aspirated experience. As, as great as the 488 is and as great as the, the F8 is, and especially with the F8, considering how much of an evolutionary leap, perhaps, or evolutionary step forward it is from the 458, I think there's an allure to the 458 because, because it's naturally aspirated, because it's a bit more raw. It's, it's like those first-generation... GTRs, where it was a little bit less refined, but that made it a little bit more interesting. It was a little bit more engaging. And that was the 458, especially because it could rev so astronomically high, I think to 9,000 RPM. And so this, you know, this road and track art, this road and track article is absolutely right. It might seem very weird to benchmark a 12-year-old Ferrari, but as they make as they say, the 458 is the watermark. It is the benchmark for an NA. V8 mid-engine Ferrari after the four, you know, the F430 and maybe the the what was it? The F430. It wasn't the Stradale because that was the that was the F360. What was the F430? Uh, I can't remember the the fat the go faster version. I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, so it actually makes a lot of sense considering considering what the Z06 is and what the Z06 represents because the Z06 is typically the Z06 is to Corvette what ACR is to Viper, basically. It's your track-oriented Corvette. And, and with that, with considering that, with that in mind, having that naturally aspirated V8 that revs to the moon, it only makes sense to go back to the 458. It, honestly, it does, because that's the car that most closely represents the C8 Z06, I think, at least from an engine department. Moving on, though. There are four intake trumpets in each plenum, one per cylinder with valves to connect each plenum. These tuning valves open and close depending on engine speed to help accelerate the air in the intake. That gives the engine tractability at low RPM and enough air to breathe as you get closer to, as you get closer to its 8,600 RPM redline. 
Beyond simply being the first four-valve Corvette since the C401. Jesus, really? The valve train has a number of novel features. Intake valves are made from titanium and exhaust valves are sodium-filled. What's interesting, what, what's interesting about that to me is if I remember correctly, the Gen 5 Viper V10 exhaust valves are also so some something in the engine is sodium-filled, and I think it's the exhaust valves as well. So it's interesting to see that show up here too. And notably, their dual-coil springs used to reduce vibrations are actuated by roller finger followers rather than traditional bucket and shim tappets. For a more thorough explanation of finger followers, read Kevin Cameron's column over at Cycle World. Hmm, I might have to do that for a Sunday special. But know that this system is much lighter than a traditional tappet system, much more durable, and reduces the potential for valve flow. They're typical in sports bikes, but, on, but the only other road car engines to use finger followers are Porsche's 4 liter 911, GT3 flat 6, and the Ferrari 812 Competizione's 6.5 liter V12. That puts the CA in a real, in something really exclusive, eh, in some really exclusive territory. A robot custom selects shims for each engine, and as the valve train is totally rigid, it's set for life. No adjustment necessary. Gardner also told us that this valve train is theor theoretically good for beyond 8,600 RPM. Oh, you know the aftermarket's going to try and get you up to 9,000. Tage jokingly calls the LT6 the big block of flat plane crank V8s, but he's kind of right though, as 5.5 liters is huge for a flat plane V8. The old Shelby GT350's Voodoo V8, Voodoo V8 measured in at 5.2 liters and revved to 8,250 RPM, and Ferrari ne never went bigger than 4.5 liters with its V8s. You go to 104.25mm bore, you're getting up into LS7 bore territory, and that's about as big as you can go, Gardner said. And at the engine speeds and everything we're at, 80mm was just a sweet spot for stroke, as we processed that through balance architecture that was giving us predictions of where we would end up that we were happy with. We were trying to go, frankly, as big as we could because flat plane crank naturally aspirated engines, they like to spin up, but they, don't, but they didn't want it to be anemic driving around town, Gardner added. So we were trying to get as much displacement in there as we could, still enabling the top end, and so you still had some decent responsiveness down low, where you spend 90% of the time on the road. Of course, getting relatively large pistons to spin to such high speeds meant that attention had to be paid to keeping weight down. Gardner describes the forged aluminum pistons as a work of art, and naturally there are forged titanium rods too. The big problem with any flat plane V8, and the reason that the more traditional cross plane V8 was created, is vibration. And that posed a big challenge to the Corvette team. The shaking forces on this engine are crazy, Tage said. It's the largest displacement flat plane crank engine that's ever been done. And the bigger and the bigger the engine, the more the shaking forces. Then integrating that into the rest of the vehicle is quite an engineering challenge. I think everybody who's done a flat plane crank talks about it. The engine shakes everything around it apart. Tage even said that the early prototypes were so violent Oil filters were spinning off during testing. It was like there were ghosts in the machine, he recalled. Thankfully, the team figured everything out and took a number of measures, including strengthening the gearbox casings to deal with the vibrations. The black plastic piece on the side is the oil tank, also known as the 4-to-1 exhaust header. The Corvette team is also quite proud of the oiling system in the LT6. As with the C8 Stingray's LT2, the LT6 is dry-sumped, but with a slightly larger 8-quart tank and 6-stage scavenge pump. Four of those stages pull from the crankcase, which helps reduce parasitic losses from having too much oil. Think about, think about running in water versus running on land, Tate said. Which way are you faster? The other two scavenge stages pull from the heads and the front of the engine, and Gardner says the system is so effective 
that at any given time, 80% of the LT6's oil is in the sump. As a flat plane crank is, essentially, two four-cylinders sharing a common crank, the exhaust sound is quite unique. Tage said that the team spent around a year developing the oral signature of the LT6. We'd originally planned to carry over or just retune the Stingray exhaust, he said. But with the flat plane crank engine, the results were okay. But they weren't as good as but they weren't as good as we were hoping. Part of the sound comes from a four into two into one exhaust manifold, but much attention was paid to the exhaust tips themselves. The Corvette signature central exhaust returns, but for the first time, the clone tips you see at the rear of the car aren't directly attached to the exhaust pipes. Tage is at pains to the point Tage is at pains to point out that they're not fake though. They're shaped like trumpets, with the bells facing the front of the car. That's kind of interesting. What that surface does is it actually reflects some of the exhaust sound forward, Tate said. So the sound comes out of the pipe, expands, bounces off that little parabolic surface, and reflects forward so the driver can hear it. Because these tips are so far rearward, we've got a lot of insulation between the engine and the driver to get the bad noise out. We wanted to hear more of that music. And so that was actually a technical solution to do that. From what we've heard thus far, the results speak for themselves, recalling the, glor recalling the glorious sound of Ferraris, like the F355 and the 458. Automakers love to talk about the link between motorsports and road cars, but that link is often tenuous at best. With the LT6, it's not, as the, C8, as the Corvette C8R has run a version of this engine for two years now, giving the road car team valuable data. Since the C8R is restricted by balance of performance, which limits horsepower to around 500, the racing LT6R uses a slightly smaller crankshaft and has a redline set around 7,000 RPM. The oiling system is very similar to the road cars, though, and so is the finger follower valve train. Really, the biggest difference between the LT6 and the LT6R is the block. In the race car, the engine is mounted lower, but the tops of the two engines remain very similar. Tate said that the C8R almost ended up with a 5.5 liter small block that powered the C C6R and C7R to many victories, but for the sake of road car development, it was worth going for the LT6, even though it would let the world know that the cor even though it would let the world know that the Corvette would get a flat plane V8 two years before the Z06 debuted. But this should mean that the LT6 has the reliability and durability we've come to expect from Corvette engines, despite being so radically different from a conventional small block. The LT6 comes at an interesting time for the internal combustion engine, as the industry shifts towards electrification. GM is no exception, with plans to invest $35 billion between 2020 and 2025 into EV development and production. We asked Tage if the driving force behind the LT6 was the fact that this was, that this was the last chance to develop something like this. It's more in hindsight, he said. I mean, the world has changed so much since we started on this. We didn't think it would be the end of the line. But now the way that everything is going to charged engines, EVs, and everything, I suspect now, looking at, looking at where, where we are right now, it probably will be. So what we're looking at here is possibly the most, the most powerful, naturally aspirated V8 to ever exist. If the LT6 is the end, it's one hell of a way to go. And that's just, that's going to be so sad. But I'm so glad that such a banger of an engine, such a banger of an engine marks the might of the V8. Marks the might of internal combustion engine. And more importantly than all of that, the more importantly than might is sheer pleasure, is sheer enjoyment, that high-spinning, Italian-sounding, intoxicating music that will forever mark the difference 
that will forever separate internal combustion cars from from electric cars. And to be fair, I do. <laughs> I say to be fair, in fairness to, I guess Viper guys, or, well, yeah, I guess in fairness to Viper guys, I do feel the same way about the Viper V10, largely the same way because again, you know, because the C, this Z06, this 5.5 liter naturally aspirated V8, may mark the end of V8s for the Corvette. At least, at the very least, we may only get one or two more Corvettes slash generations slash engines that are that are internal, that are. Uh, that have internal combustion engines, at least of this caliber. And so this engine, much like the Viper V10, is the end of an era where you have 670 horsepower from a V8, from a production V8. And the Viper, you know, marks the end of an era for having a big, a really big engine like that. The only car carrying carrying the torch for that now, really, the only car that I can think of from the factory is the A12 Superfast, you know, with its 6.5 liter V12. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, the Viper V10 won't sound like the Z06. And, of course, it won't. Of course, it won't sound like that. But it has its own unique quality to it, the induction noise specifically, and how just off the rails Travis Pastrana Nitro Circus it is in terms of, in terms of noise. So if I think it's fair to say that the C8Z06's engine is probably your, would be the typical choice for your best hits album of internal combustion engines. And I'm glad, and I'm so glad that it exists. And I'm so glad that they, you know, that they even bothered to go with an engine like this because it's so interesting to see an American flat plane, high revving V8 like that. So I love it. But then the unexpected choice would be the Viper V2, at least for me anyway. Because you know, as we all know, a lot of people say, oh, it sounds like a truck. It sounds like a UPS truck. It, the sound sucks. Sound sucks. Sound sucks. Sound sucks. But when I hear a Viper IRL, when I was at the Viper Days reunion, when I heard, when I was at High Plains, I think 2019, first time, second time, and third time, that induction noise for me is so so intoxicating. I love the Viper exhaust note, and I'm I know I'm in the minority along with a lot of other Viper owners, and not even all Viper owners particularly love the sound. But I'm so glad that we have engines like the 8.4 liter Viper V10 that you can that you can bring the nine liters and get ridiculous power. And I'm so glad we have the Voodoo, the Coyote, the LSs, and now this, the Gemini. These are the expected and unexpected best hits albums I think of internal combustion engines, along with along with a lot of other engines. But it, it really is, as Rotatrack says, one hell of a way to go if it's going to be the last time we see such a high-horsepower V8 from any automaker. Really, it is one hell of a way to go. It's, it's the footnote of history, if you will. It's the, or it's the footnote in a history book. It's, it's the end. It marks the end of the chapter. And I know that all, all the talk, like, or such talk is very cliche, but... You know, now more than ever, it really is true, or increasingly becoming true, because it's funny when you know Jeremy Clarkson said in 2012 when he drove the Lamborghini Aventador, thanks to emissions regulations, we probably that the Aventador would probably have the last big V12 ever, and we still have big V12s now. Environmentalism, electric cars and hybrids and whatnot, just didn't move along as much, or hadn't been moved along as much then as they are now. The government hadn't cracked down as much. They did, especially in Europe back then, but they've done they've done so way more now. And the alternative propulsion, if you will, the hybrids, the mild hybrids, the proper hybrids, the electric cars, that technology has moved on so much so since 10 years ago now, since a genuine decade ago, that now it really is more true than ever. And then obviously with various government policies around the world pushing for such change, something I just talked about in... 
yesterday's yesterday's weekly news roundup, if you listen to that, that rant, it really is more true now than ever that we're kind of coming to the end of an era as as annoying as it is. But that's why I pray that Porsche's alternative fuels will keep cars like this going for at least a little bit longer. But it is it really is one hell of a way to go. It's so it's a cornerstone to me in in some of the best engines. It's it's a if there were an engine hall of fame, this has to be in it. And I would argue this has to be in the top 10. Has to be. Because of how much power it's pushing, because of how because of how much of a departure it is for Chevrolet from all their other engines, from all their cross-plane big bore engines that they've been doing, you know, the seven liter LS7, for example. It's it's wonderful that given modern times, Chevrolet still had the guts to make an engine like this and still decided to push for it. And even and it's it's brilliant that the bean counters at GM decided to allow the Corvette engineers to try something different, to really make such a bespoke engine for such a bes- for really such a bespoke Corvette when compared to everything else. The only the real shame is that this engine isn't in the C7 or isn't in the C6 either. That's the shame, because could you imagine an engine like this in an FMR car? The only other engine outside of the Shelby, outside of the Voodoo engine, the only other car that I can think of, the only other FMR car certainly I can think of that has a high revving engine like this from the factory. So not not the 9-liter Viper I love, not Cable's 9-liter Viper that typically goes to time attack events, is the Mercedes SLS AMG. So I think that had... It had their 6.2 liter V8. They rev to about 8,000 RPM. And that's not a sports car, but it was an FMR car. The engine was behind the front, was behind the front axle. So that's really, to me, the only shame is that this engine wasn't put into an FMR sports car. But at the same time, you know, it's a dual overhead, it's a dual overhead crank engine. Or not crank, dual overhead cam engine, right? A DO, a DOHC. And part of the problem with that is because the cams are up in the heads, that raises the center of gravity. And for a front-engine car, that's not brilliant. And in a mid-engine car, it's not, it's not terribly brilliant either, but I think the physics are a bit different to the point where you can get away with it, much more so than you can in an FMR car, certainly. So, yeah. But this really the, this Gemini engine is kind of a hallmark of naturally, naturally aspirated high-revving V8s. It is, much like the 458 was. It, much like the 458's V8 was a triumph for engines like that. And why they're so brilliant, this is a modern American version of that. And it's crazy to think that we have, we got another engine like that in 2022 or 2021 because it was also being made then, but still, or being developed then at the very least. So yeah, I love the fact that, th- that this engine exists. I'm so glad that this engine exists. Especially because, you know, a lot of American automakers don't do engines like this. They don't do European-style flat-plane crank high-revving. So it's nice to finally have, outside of the Voodoo, an engine like this where it is high-revving. Although you could argue the LS7 was a little bit like that. Because 7,000 RPM, that's... Those are some high-revs. Especially for a 7,000... For a 7-liter V8. Those are some high-revs, for sure. But yeah, this is just a triumph. This The Gemini engine is just a triumph of why we love internal combustion engines. And I'm so glad... That for the C8 Z06, Tage, Tage and the whole Corvette team decided, let's do this thing. Let's make a really bespoke engine, uh, a send-off, almost a send-off to the whole idea of internal combustion, to the, to, the, to the whole reason why we love internal combustion engines in the first place. In any case, though, I hope you guys enjoyed that article. If you did, 
please like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Please make sure you hit the little notification bell and then all notifications that we notify every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have it with the Podbean mobile app, hey, it's not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcast. Type in Cody's Car Conundrum and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. Before we end, I want to inform you all that you can now monetarily support this podcast and indeed the entirety of Cody's Car Conundrum with Kofi. Uh, well, it might be coffee, but it's spelled K-O-F-I, and that's weird, so I say it Kofi. In any case, Kofi is an alternative to Patreon where, beautifully and as God intended, you, the supporters, don't have to pay a fee, like on Patreon, to support my work. So if you like what I do and want to see me cover, slash talk about, slash make a video regarding something specific, or want me to branch out into other areas of car culture, then head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash Cody's Car Conundrum, where you can make a minimum donation of $5 towards me and the brand. In return, you'll be helping me afford new equipment, afford upgrades to my existing tools, you'll receive polls asking what topic you want me to dive into next, you'll get to see voted and non-voted content before public release, various forms of recognition for your support, and the ability to vote on merch designs you'd like to see on the Teespring store. And now, it's time to close. You've just listened to me! Probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full-throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.